We're live. I'm sitting sitting now with Paul Miller. We just recorded. This is what you freaks are about to listen to. I hope you enjoy it. What about you? Do you think they should enjoy it? Absolutely. Okay. Go After they click the forward 45 seconds button uh, eight eight or nine times. The advertisers don't like me to tell them to skip ads. So. I'm not telling you should. I'm, I'm applying they might. They're funny ad reads. I try to make them funny. Go listen to them. Support the show. Support the show. <laughs> at least at least listen to you, podcasting 2.0. Value for value. It was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. They're right down the hall from me here at the Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. And they're here to bring you the best way to buy Bitcoin. You go to unchained.com slash trading. You buy Bitcoin and it goes directly into a two or three multi-sig vault cold storage geographically distributed keys the best way to hold your bitcoin you hold two of those keys so you have full control of your bitcoin if you have the two keys you can sign two of the three signatures necessary to move your bitcoin so you always have control um unchained holds the third key in case you're ever in a pinch and again the trading desk that has just been popped up at unchained is the best way to buy bitcoin no more fumbling for uh addresses on wallets that you're trying to move the uh, off exchange no more depending on a third party exchange to hold your bitcoin on your behalf with the potential of being rugged you buy bitcoin via unchained's trading desk and it goes straight to two or three multi-sig it's available in 33 states right now they're quickly moving towards 50 states so hopefully it'll be available to every american uh, at some point in the near future go to unchained.com trading if you want to reach out to their team directly to, to learn more about the product, you can do so there. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. It's a beautiful thing. If you're in the mining industry, if you're mining and you're not using Brains products, I don't know what's wrong with you. We're going to have to have a sit down and really talk about what you're doing with your life and where you, where you see yourself going in the future. Hopefully... It's adopting Brains products, which include Brains Pool, which is the longest running mining pool in Bitcoin's existence, the first ever. Uh, they have Brains OS Plus firmware, which allows you to download custom firmware on to your ASIC compatible ASICs, which is going to help you stack more SATs at the end of the day. Only an idiot wouldn't stack more SATs. So if you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware, make sure you're downloading it. They have Brains Insights, which is your one-stop shop for all your mining data needs. We just had a 13.5% upward difficulty adjustment, new all-time high difficulty. If you were on Brains Insights at any point in the last week or two, you would have seen that coming. Uh, they also have calculators for uh, profitability and cost of mining. So if you're running an operation, they have tools for you there as well. And then they have their blog and their books that they're putting out. So go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com to check out all of this. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Huddle Huddle is here to bring you a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform with no KYC, no AML, and it leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. And on top of that, it's got lower rates than many of the lending platforms out there right now. So what you do is you put your Bitcoin up if you're looking for stablecoin liquidity in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the loan holds one key, and Huddle Huddle holds the third key. Since you have one key in that two or three multi-sig quorum, you have visibility into 
your escrow wallets throughout the duration of your loan. So you know that if you're paying it back, plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. You know, it's not being rehypothecated. Uh, if you have stable coins, you want to get yield on them. You go to the other side of this book, you loan out your stable coins for somebody holding Bitcoin as collateral in the two or three multi-sig and they pay you back plus interest. And that's how you, that's where your yield comes from there. Again, no KYC, no AML, peer-to-peer, lower rates. It's a beautiful thing. Lend.hodlehodl.com. Last but not least, this trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Crowd Health. They're changing. Changing the healthcare game. How you pay for your healthcare. Insurance companies are opaque. They're black boxes. You put money in. You never know how much you have to spend. Insurance companies do not negotiate on your behalf. Crowd Health is here to bring transparency and a personal relationship to your healthcare, to your healthcare cost. You pay a monthly fee, it goes into a dedicated bank account that you have access to month in and month out. If you ever have a health expense, you pay the first $500, and then the rest of your bill goes out to the Crowd Health community, and you crowdsource that health expense. They're adding a Bitcoin. They have added a Bitcoin component to it too, alongside those dollars that you're paying uh, via your monthly payment. They're going to put a portion of that into Bitcoin as well. So you can have your dollars in your bank account and you get a, a, a Bitcoin account building up alongside that. So you speculative, speculatively attack your future healthcare cost. The other thing that's beauty, beautiful about crowd health is that you're, you're joining in with other healthy people. Healthy people don't have as many healthcare expenses. It's a beautiful thing. So, so arguably you're not going to have to pay as many bills. Do you want to take sovereignty over your healthcare? Are you tired of the insurance companies dragging you around, treating you like crap, waiting you wait, the 1-800 number lines to talk to somebody you never met before? Crowd Health is here to change that. You're going to have a personal health advocate that will be riding along with you as you as you continue to be a crowd health member go to joincrowdhealth.com slash tftc you use the code tftc at checkout uh and you're going to get a hundred dollars or 99 dollars a month for the first six months of being a crowd health member uh this is up to the first 1000 uh bitcoin users in the bitcoin community use the code tftc Take back control of your healthcare. You do it with your money. Why won't you do it with your healthcare? Join a community of healthy people taking care of each other. Join crowdhealth.com slash TFTC. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What was it like starting a podcast in 2009? Or taking over a podcast? Taking over a podcast. Um, you did even back then you had those those snowball mics or whatever um i don't know the i think 
I don't know. Podcasts always kind of felt like a big deal to me because I was listening to them so much. So like, I know podcasts are a really big deal now, but in 2009, it felt like a big deal to be on a podcast. Like it almost exactly the same to me. If that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I started listening to podcasts until like 2011 mm. and Rogan started blowing up, but that wasn't even really podcasting. I was like watching via YouTube. I, I, I heard about, there's a, a magazine called Mac addict that my parents got me for Christmas. So I, I'd get these magazines. I'm very, I'm very old. And they'd be about, you know, here's cool things you can do with your Mac. And I think this is pre-iPod. It's like this kind of idea of pirate radio, right? So you, you have a, a multimedia computer that can play audio files and you have a web browser. You could record an audio file, put that up, you know, and other people could listen to it. So I, I did a podcast when I was like 16. Um, it was about like anime and, <laughs> and JRPGs. Good luck finding that. What, uh, what was the podcasting scene like? It, like it was a small? I don't think there was even RSS for it. It was just... <laughs> yeah, Apple. But 2009, you're saying? Or? Yeah. I mean, I felt it was like really mature. It was mostly Apple. The Apple, Apple podcast uh, was kind of the only directory. Um, uh, the the from a personal perspective the podcasting that i did in gadget was really valuable because uh, a bunch of us or the, me uh josh and eli were on this podcast we built a, a really nice audience for ourselves and then when we decided to leave in gadget and start our own publication which was eventually called the verge we basically took the audience with us because they followed us to like an interim podcast called this is my next. And when we launched the verge, uh, that audience came along as well. And so, you know, a, instead of just like disappearing from Gadget, nobody knows where we are and then pop up, you know, a year later with a website, like that would have been a really hard transition, but the podcast was, was able to keep this really loyal, uh, audience, which was really, really cool. Yeah. It is the beauty of podcasting. It's all about the freaks out there listening. Sorry. What I mean, I should be asking you tips. I mean, this has <laughs> turned into a media company. What was it like starting The Verge? I mean, that was that was a pretty fun time. It, there was a lot of ideas, and it was tough because not a lot of the ideas um, they wouldn't all come true. Like I, I remember, kind of like I, I got in this kind of blank piece of paper mode, you know? And then I feel like there's something about the constraints of the market or what everybody else is doing that kind of collapsed that possibility space back into something that was not so different. Uh, the Verge, the really exciting thing about The Verge was this idea that uh, we're the magazines now. That you don't just have to, you don't have to be on a physical newsstand to do like premium, like, magazine style articles like we we we're just a bunch of little bloggers but we can do premium premium work but ultimately that is actually really hard to fund and then the verge became enamored with like facebook clicks and the those short form um social videos yeah yeah. listicle yeah so it's just like that the the where the revenue is where the traffic is kind of ultimately starts to like shape how the media company actually operates. So like, it might be fun to come up with really cool ideas, how to change everything, but that's just not, you know, in that time, that's not really how it worked out. It felt like. Now you have to feed the people's attention spans. 
That's right. why we've like started branching into that too. I'm like, uh, getting f- not forced to, but told like, hey, if you want to grow this thing, you need like top of the funnel, like one minute clips. Mm. I've never done that. Yeah, I I felt this real tension uh, with those short media clips at the Verge because I felt like if one of our loyal people, those people who followed us from Engadget, you know, the the really true diehards, if one of those saw one of these little clips, I think they'd feel condescended to. Um, and Adele was one of these people, wasn't he? The devil. Odell. <laughs> Matt. Yes, the devil. <laughs> the devil. Yeah. We, that's, a, that's our nickname for him behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Odell was a, a Verge fan. That's how I, I started listening to, to, to TFTC right around when, um, rabbit hole recap started. Um, and you were like part of my like Bitcoin journey of, like what you would say, what's up freaks? And I was like, okay, I, I, I thought of myself as an outside observer. Like, let me look at this ecosystem and see what I, what I like about it. And then I, I, I liked what you guys had to offer. But then I started hearing Matt talk about, um, oh, he would do like disclosure, disclosure, <laughs> which is like a, it's a thing that we'd always do in the Vergecast Cause there's all these interconnected media companies and my coworkers wife works for Facebook. And so we're talking about Facebook and then we have to disclose and stuff like that. So Matt would kind of like, I felt like he was giving me a little head nods to the Vergecast. So when I reached out to him, I was like, do you listen to the Vergecast? Hell yeah, I do. I mean, you've got a blue check. I do. That was, bi- that was probably big for Matt when you reached out. I was like, <laughs> you listen to Verge? Finally, some recognition <laughs> from, from the from the media elite. What uh, what drove you to listen to RHR and TFTC? Why why Bitcoin at that time? Was I like 2018. I, yeah, 2000. Yeah, late 17, 2018. I I know. I remember. At the, I'm pretty bad with the dates and the timeline stuff, but I know. Um, I'd, I'd heard of Bitcoin a, a few times. I was pretty familiar with it because I was in the tech scene. And I'd, I'd looked into it enough to decide like, oh, yeah, seems like a working system. That's cool. We don't need another money because we already have a money. But I guess if you needed to an- have another money, that would be that would be great. Um, so I, di- I didn't understand the economic side of, of what was so failed about the money. And then... Uh, that the, the, this fork wars happened and I'm like hearing like Roger Ver like crying on a podcast and like, I'm like listening to these debates and like, I don't know, I have no idea who is the real Bitcoin, you know? Um, so, you know, that was kind of like a little like unsettling or, or just like, I don't know. I don't know enough about this to, to get involved, but I, I've for a long, a longer time than I've been interested in Bitcoin, I've been really interested in decentralization. I think that that like top down control is 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 really inefficient, and and so I've been just kind of learning about that for for a while, and so I was like I was much more interested in Ethereum, this idea of because like I said I didn't I don't need a new money but I do want to find a way to like decentralize these applications distributed compute yeah this this it, it sounds great um, and. The nice thing about tuning in to media like yours, uh, reading the Bitcoin Standard, um, uh, the Noted podcast, like Michael and Pierre were big for me. But basically, once I was able to gain enough technical knowledge of about Bitcoin and about Ethereum, it was just it was just really obvious that Ethereum made this sort of 
like a dumb, you, you, you can't do, you basically have reinvented the centralization problem. You're trying to coordinate everything, bubble it up to like this, this centralized um, coordinating mechanism, which is the, the blockchain. Even if the blockchain is distributed over a bunch of computers, if all, if all state, if every time someone clicks the heart button on Twitter to create a like, you know, if that always has to coalesce into one blockchain, that's just not going to work. And that's what they, that's how they design their system. So once I kind of really understood that, and I think that also kind of maybe played into, I don't remember which came first, but this understanding of which Bitcoin was Bitcoin. It's like, oh, the one that's not making like this dumb trade-off decision uh, to try to get all state in the world, every you know, McDonald's purchase is probably not going to end up living on the true Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, we're going to have to figure out other other systems because the more important thing is the the distributed decentralized nature. Yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up because just before you walked in here, I saw a tweet. Uh, officially now, fifty percent of Ethereum validating nodes are on the OFAC compliant list. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got what they were, they got what they were working on. Yeah. They designed the system and they built it. Hey, good for them. Congrats. Hey, shout out to the devs over there. Shipping. They're shipping code. <laughs> hey, you can build. Good job. All the builders are over there. Biddling. Biddling. That's why, uh, what, but before we get to why you're here, because there is a specific topic I want to sit yeah. down and talk about with Paul. I'm sitting down with Paul Miller. Follow the Verge, Vergecast, not working uh, at Voltage mm -hmm. and doing many other things. A lot of, of of other things. Yeah, I've actually kind of got some, some, some news. Some news. Oh, good. So I, I've been doing front end at, at Voltage, and, uh, and Voltage is now doing some kind of some research stuff and wants to fund some open source stuff. And so uh, uh, Voltage is going to be funding me and Tony to work on Mutiny. Oh hell yeah! We're going to be working on some other stuff there too, but we're going to be working at Mutiny. And uh, we're gonna build the a privacy focused wallet for for everybody. All right, let's start with Mutiny. So it's a privacy focused wallet, Lightning only, correct? Yeah. And right now you can only send. Yeah. And yeah, you, I mean, I've got it on my phone. If I don't know if it's if it helps at all. Yeah. But, Logan, uh, look it up. You guys have a website. Yeah, it's uh, mutinywallet.com. We'll put it up on the screen. But no, this is a very important project. Obviously, Tony, Tony Spaghetti has been very uh, Tony Giorgio. Tony Spaghetti. I feel like you're um, disrespecting his culture. <laughs> Tony Giorgio. All right, Tony Spaghetti Giorgio. <laughs> yeah. So you guys came up with this idea. You've been working on what for like three to six months now. Yeah. So we um, we started at a hackathon and. Uh, uh, Kind of the, the the big biggest trick in in mutiny is that we spin up uh, a new node for each channel open it's built on sensei in the in the background john Contreras project yeah exactly um which is built on ldk macrawl's project it, there's a lot there's a lot under the hood um and so that that idea but basically the 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 the, the, the framework that we're kind of going in with this is what if we designed a wall you know uh, Tony has written this really great piece on uh, lightning privacy and there's a lot of knowledge in there and there are a lot of gotchas 
in a lot of ways, Lightning is is more private than on-chain, but there are a lot of ways that you can, um, you know, leak details about yourself um, or correlate a Lightning payment with an on-chain payment, and therefore you end up with the same privacy as on-chain. So you lose this advantage that Lightning could theoretically provide. And so the idea with the wall is can, how much of this, the know-how that we have of how to be private with Lightning, can we encode into a user interface to just either not let a user do something that's not private, which is in the joke right now is we don't receive. <laughs> we don't have a good private way to receive. You can deposit funds, like you can send on-chain funds to fund the channel open, but then you only send out from. And so obviously to ship a wallet it will probably have received but right but right now that kind of helped us get into this mindset of like well we're gonna make the the private choice and but still make an easy to use beautiful wallet and 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 so just trying to get the privacy stuff out of the user having to remember it all and rather they chose a product from a, a lot there's a lot of great options obviously in in lightning already but they chose one that would on purpose guide them to 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 the private thing no i like that design approach start with the end goal of the best privacy they can potentially attain on lightning and then just take your time getting there start with send only mm. um make sure that it's completely private from the base when you're sending it out and then figure out how to to add the uh receive privacy so i guess that going into the gotchas of sending and receiving transactions privately over the lightning network receiving is obviously one of those gotchas in some way yeah because basically to receive you have to say hey here's my node it's this one and my node pubkey is it's, it's like it's kind of it just ends up obviously you know correlated with um an on-chain transaction and so it just it's it's just you're kind of doxing yourself in some sense when you receive because you provide information about your node in the invoice so that they know how to route to how you. How to get there. Um, so we'll need ways to improve that. What are the top ways that you're bullish on improving that? Are you a big fan of rendezvous routing? Uh, I think, yeah, the hot new thing is, well, I got, <laughs> there's so much going on. I should mention I'm, I'm, I'm working on a, a, like a lightning, like kind of the future of lightning privacy report um, um, with uh, uh, Tony and Ben and Evan. Um, and uh, it were, so we're kind of, kind of investigating a lot of these kind of newer techn like uh, route blinding, trampoline, um uh splicing there's a lot of new, and then ptlcs will be a big big deal there's a lot of like future technology that can improve can we depend on ptlcs though? What's that? can we depend on ptlcs isn't the transition from hlcs to ptlcs pretty arduous you just gotta you're gonna have to open new channels i, I think there's, yeah. i don't think there's gonna be a, like a nice friendly switch over as far as i know maybe maybe there will be yeah, and so a few freaks are unaware what we're saying here. It seems like we're speaking in hieroglyphics right now. When you open up a Lightning Network channel, you use an HTLC, a hash, time lock contract, a two a two multi sig, which creates a two way channel. Well, one way until they open up um, with you the other direction. And that's one way to do it. And what makes PTLCs possible? Schnorr, right? 
Yeah, I think it has something to do with Schnorr, and but it's the it's a point time lock contract, so it, it has something to do with the elliptic curve. Mm-hmm. And so you're um, like right now the, the the privacy gain with 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 PTLC over HTLC is like you basically have a hash of of this you know the hash time lock contract. You have this hash that's stable across every hop in in the route, and so. A, a bad actor on point A and, and, and further down the route could kind of correlate this payment and, and track payments across the Lightning Network better. Whereas point, because point with PTLC, because it's like elliptic curve stuff and you can, you know, add and subtract things to, you know, and just kind of those cool cryptography math things that I don't really know, but I kind of get a like a vague sense of how they work. Um, that that number that ID is going to look different across each, time. each each step of the of the route, and so even if the bad actor is on two points of the route, they're not going to know for sure that these two payments correlate. Yeah, with an HDLC, like if one part the closer to the beginning of the route has one value that's lower, and uh, towards the end of the route it's higher, they can sort of assume like this is probably. Like the same uh, HTLC because it's building on, on it. Like are you, are you talking about like the 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 amount of the actual. It's like I, I'm assuming it's the same route plus a couple fees of of all the hops. Yeah, yeah. There's that number, but I think there's also yeah, it's just the actual hash of that hash time lock contract. Yeah, and that's the stable identifier across these hops. <sighs> it's a lot. There's a there's a lot, and I want to be absolutely clear. Like I'm 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 around these other. Uh, this is why I came to Austin is to to hang out with like kind of the the you know Bitcoin developers, people who really know their stuff, um, and we're all learning at the same time. But some of us are uh, way better at it than than others. And I'm a, I'm a front end developer, and I just try to keep up. I try to take notes. I try to ask questions to like to learn more. Um, I'm like with with these guys, like they're the ones that are figuring out like exactly you know, how to explain, you know, uh, trampoline and, and, and route blinding and stuff like that. I'm helping them make like pretty pictures to, to, to explain it better, you know? So, so that, that kind of work is, is sort of my like niche right now. And Austin is being around really smart developers and gives me opportunities. To, you know, if I, if I put a button on their, their really cool shit, well, now there's something that people can use, you know, more effectively. Yeah, don't sell yourself short. Design is desperately needed in this space. Good design is lacking in the Bitcoin space. It's getting better. It's getting better. Historically, it's been severely lacking. And so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Announcement on the show. Shout out to Voltage for funding us. Yeah. Thank you, Graham. Yeah. And so you're building Mutiny on LDK, mm-hmm. which is an interesting segue point to why I brought you on, which is... What happened earlier this week, and I guess this ties into privacy uh, and PTLCs to some degree, but there was an individual who made a 998 out of 999 multi-sig taproot address, I guess. Uh, It had nothing to do with the Lightning Network, correct? Correct. Yeah, Barack, he he works on like um, liquid stuff. Yeah, here we have the... uh, There we go. I did 998 of 999 tap script multi-sig and it only costs $4.90 in transaction fees. And if you scroll down a little bit, Logan, you'll see our good friend Ben saying, LOL, this, this broke LND. <laughs> so this was a big thing. 
Sunday night actually happened. Mm -hmm. uh, Central time. Uh, this went on. Barack made this transaction and it basically shut down or who knows whether it shut down L and D, but there was, it was hard to reach consensus between L and D nodes and it had nothing to do with the lightning network specifically or L and D's implementation of it. But the fact that they were leveraging BTCD, mm. right. Which is a library. And yeah. And BTCD wasn't uh, compatible with this type of tap script multisig. Right. There's there. Yeah. So there's so many concepts here and I want to help you unpack all of them. And it's been really fun. Like, investigating this myself because it's it's almost like it's like um, a curriculum for learning about bitcoin learning about bitcoin consensus and learning how that relates to lightning dependencies all that shit yeah so um so yeah this transaction um just to be clear it it, it is so when segwit had a size limit for how big of a of a script uh, how big of a transaction you could you could put there how, how big of a script your transaction could have which is like 1100 bytes or something like that or 11,000 bytes something like that and taproot which is so segwit is like v0 taproot is v1 of segwit so it's kind of an upgraded segwit and it has tap script but still you know it's still like bitcoin script basically um it doesn't have that size limit anymore it's basically as big as um a block is the is the size limit for your script and so I don't know exactly why, but there's for some reason something they figured in the taproot, whatever they were worried about limiting the size before, they're not worried anymore. And so um, when, when, um, and so LND has upgraded to support taproot and BTCD has been upgraded to support taproot. And they ran all the, the test vectors of, you know, that, that Bitcoin D has for like, here's everything that we think you know, could happen on the network. Everything that, you know, a lot of tests that of, of what valid transactions look like. They ran those same things on L&D. It's all been fine. Um, but nobody had published a transaction this large on the actual chain. Or the test net, right? Or on testnet because, because Brock actually ran this on testnet first and, and that testnet a bit um lnd is also broken by this um so when this 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 hit the chain lnd which uses like you said btcd which is a, is a, an alternative um bitcoin implementation like an alternative to bitcoin core but also has a lot of bitcoin oriented logic that lnd uses even if your lnd node is pointed at Bitcoin D as it's like block source, it might still be using some BTCD logic. And part of that logic is how it parses transactions. So uh, LND's consensus code and BTCD's consensus code, it was correct for this upgrade where, where tap script uh, scripts can be huge, but the parsing wasn't. So the parsing in BTCD was rejecting this transaction as invalid, even though it is a valid transaction according to the actual, you know, Bitcoin consensus rules. So you could kind of, the way you could kind of see it as is, is that in some sense, uh, BTCD was viewing a taproot, a taproot transaction as like hard fork, like BTCD kind of hard forked because it didn't anticipate this this kind of transaction that was actually you know valid according to the soft fork because they basically had too strong of a rule 
um, for for how they they parse these transactions. Was it something as simple as eliminating a config file? Is that what it was? Or yeah, it, it was just like a hard coded size limit because like because basically if you imagine they ha they the, the size limit was correct in Segwit that you only have this this max size of transaction, but they didn't up that size limit to be able to handle these these tap script transactions that can be larger now. Seems like a pretty egregious oversight. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a, a liability of having a separate Bitcoin implementation, which kind of sucks because I I would love it. I would love to live in a world where we had a bunch like Bitcoin consensus rules were so small and so per, you know like modular and yeah, you could just print them out on a piece of paper and like seventy two point font and like this is the this is Bitcoin. As long as you agree by these rules, you you're doing Bitcoin. But in fact, there are there's a lot of this is sort of implicit consensus. Like, it's not the rules engine that's checking if something's valid, but if you're rejecting a transaction as it comes in over the wire, um, that is you know implicitly consensus. You know, so that's why, as much as we you know want to narrow Bitcoin D down to just consensus, you know, the peer peer to peer layer really matters in in Bitcoin D um, and and how. It, so, anyways. Yeah, it's um, it it sucks, and uh, and so basically what happened is L and D um, would mark itself as a, it's not a synced to the latest tip tip of the chain, um, or like sync would be false, something like that. Also, if you restarted L and D, it would not come back to our operational because it wouldn't be able to get to to the chain tip, and but L and D nodes were so this broke broke L and D basically. Core Lightning wasn't affected as LDK. None of the other implementations were affected. It's just L and D, but the, these these nodes were broken in the sense that they they were not they didn't have the security properties of Lightning anymore. Where you're checking on chain to make sure your channel partner is not like messing with you, uh, but you could still like send and receive and route. You shouldn't, but you could like so you know I fired up you know Zeus talking to my L and D node uh, running on voltage uh, still on 15.1. Um, Cause all, all versions of L and D were broken by this. Um, and, and, and I could send, send funds just fine. Um, but it, it was in a, the node itself was actually in a bad state. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think the gravity of this, but is it, is it a bug? What would you consider? It yeah, it's a bug. The gravity of this bug should be discounted because, like you said, you're running your voltage LND node on 15.1 and it borked everything before 15.2. So, essentially, if you want to be compatible with LND today, you have to upgrade to 15.2. Yeah, and that's a big um, burden. Um, you know, so like the timeline was basically the, this, this bug was noticed around like 4 p.m. or something like that. Texas time Sunday Sunday and um, on like voltage we had like alerts go off or whatever that these these nodes aren't sinking to the chain for some reason and um, and then there there was a patch out around like nine or ten and we were able to to, to push that um, to our nodes um, and L&D was like you know that 
built that patch because they have to kind of ship all these binaries, all the compiled versions of L and D. So we were able to get that to our customers pretty quickly, and then there's a you know there's a button to upgrade. Um, so in some sense, like Voltage is like this line of defense of this difficulty of running your node. But you know we've had uh, you know challenges upgrading from 15.0 to 15.1, for instance. So let's say you are a company that is still on a slightly older version because you're having some struggles, you know, upgrading like. Um, now you have to go into high gear and up, upgrade. You, you, you never want to have to have to do a major breaking upgrade in a, in a hurry like that. On a Sunday night. On a Sunday night. What, uh, what are some of the struggles of upgrading? Oh, there's just little, little bugs, little incompatibilities. There's just, you know, they're major versions for a reason. Like there's, you know, just stuff changes. And you need to make sure, you know, everything still works. Also, you know, you have to, um, like the tools, your nodes got to go down for a little bit to upgrade. Yeah. So you're saying you got to make sure everything works, like the tools that you guys have built to interact with your nodes are running as expected. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was with 15.1 that provided some challenge for us, but yeah, one of the things that we're doing with, um, but yeah, like the API, you have to make sure that any APIs that you're calling still work. And whichever, you know, flavor, like whichever backend you've chosen to run L&D on that still needs to work, um, like, you know, database wise. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, and you, you just, I'm trying to, trying to remember what we, well, the, we also do a lot of stuff with, um, with the encrypt, like L&D nodes can be encrypted at rest, um, which we, we take advantage of at Voltage. Um, so that so that you know when the node is shut down, you know it's it's encrypted, and then you need a password to unlock the node. That that kind of stuff. I don't know if that exactly was, but there, yeah, there's just a lot of um, details to however you know somebody's deployed L and D, and so it's not uh, the nice thing about this bug, and it's a kind of a property of the Lightning Network is that we we have as far as I understand, as far as how you would exploit this to harm somebody to actually steal funds is going to be some sort of unilateral force close mm-hmm. where you would, you, you see that, that this L and D node, or you, you assume that this L and D node is susceptible to this bug, hasn't been updated. So they're in a, in a, in a bad state where they don't really understand what's going on in the chain. And so you, you publish this old transaction, this old version of the channel state where you have more of the funds on your side than you actually should. And so you do like a unilateral force close. And the whole property of Lightning is that if a, if a force close transaction like that is published to the blockchain, you have like two weeks to do a justice transaction and you actually get to sweep all the funds. It's, you know, you have to punish someone for trying to cheat you with a wrong uh, force close. And so um, those don't unilateral force closes don't happen very often in Lightning um, for for whatever reason. It's not that antagonistic of a network right now. But so I can imagine there are some some something like that could be done to someone whose L and D node is in a bad state. So that may, basically gives people running L and D kind of a two week timeline to update to 15.2, the new version that, that patches this problem. And if and then they, now they will be able to sync to the chain, 
And if, if anything bad has happened, um, if, if anybody's been trying to screw them, they're going to be able to detect that, publish the, the justice transaction. So in that sense, it's like we have this, this two-week, we don't want to depend on this, but there's like this two-week buffer for really bad things happening to Lightning. Yeah, and that unilateral force close transaction, it's not hard-coded at two weeks either. You can go in there and set different parameters, correct? Like if you want it to be like so. a month or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's obviously, yeah, it's, it's um, defaults to two weeks, but yeah. you're right. Yeah, I think Peter Todd was tweeting about that Sunday night or Monday. He was like, I hope more people increase the limit of their unilateral force closes because, again, like what is the current, like do we have any insight into what percentage of nodes are, are running 15.2? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. We're up. We're updated. The, I, mean, I was the, on it right away. I know the, the Umbral update is out. I saw that. So I think multiple of the, the Raspberry Pi kind of node in a box type things. Yeah, so if you're out there listening to this, you're running an L and D node, and you're completely unaware to this bug. Hopefully, we're we're making you aware of it now. Be aware, free, because this bug is out there. And now, again, it, it's you can argue this is like probably like the most adversarial. It's not even an attack, but uh, that's an event to happen to the Lightning Network, particularly L and D to date. It's kind of funny that it was just. A guy messing around. Hey, look at this cool thing I can do. <laughs> and then he's got Ben Carmen responding. I'm like, dude, you just broke L&D. Just broke L&D. <laughs> so that's, it's, it's, I find that highly entertaining. There is also an aspect of me that wishes that we, um, like, you know, the, the ideal way for this to be discovered is somebody would break it on testnet, um, break L&D, on testnet by by just testing weird shit and then they would file this like as as a critical vulnerability get it fixed and then like we'd like lnd would like explain every to everybody like three months later like hey here's what happened you know that's that's you know the, the best case scenario when you find a really horrible bug is that you 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 hear about it and are able to update before the bad people know about it um, obviously, everybody found out at once with this because it was an accident. But I think it, it kind of shows just a, a, there's a little bit of, I, we're definitely past like the hashtag reckless phase. But, you know, you know, lightning could still use some some maturing. And I mean, obviously, you know, serious bugs happen in projects of all all kinds and quality. But uh, but yeah, this, th th this seems like something that it would have been cool if, we had, we had all found that somehow. <laughs> and and to be honest, it also kind of shows that we're still really early with playing with Taproot stuff. I mean, this isn't even like a Taproot multi-sig. It's not like MuSig or anything. It's not signature aggregation. It's it's just the fact that it's just like it's a single leaf, as far as I understand, of a Taproot script. Um, and it's just uh, just a ton. What, yeah, it's just, it's just a ton, ton of... of a ton of signatures. Yeah. And, uh, and Tony and Ben did a reproduction where they created a, 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 a Bitcoin script that it would it like pushes 520 bytes onto the, the stack, then drops them and then 520 bytes and drops them. It's like up drop. It's just a really funny looking script. And it also, you know, it also breaks uh, L and D. Um, so as so I saw that Tony, Tony did that last night, he like published this transaction to a reg test network on his computer. Now Alice d 
doesn't understand the, the the blockchain anymore. So it means that like, you know, we we probably need to be, I don't know, I don't know, need or should, like obviously I'm not doing it myself, but hopefully we can kick the tires more of Taproot and you know what what is possible now with these, you know, these changes that that we have but are they're hard to, to make use of so far. Yeah, it feels like this instance could either be a lucky one or an unlucky one where you have this Barack making this transaction that Bork's LMD and it's either a moment of like, oh, wow, like now we know where a lot of the pain ports, points are or it's for an attacker, oh, wow, like here's an attack vector that we should explore more. And Yeah, yeah, here's a relatively untested area of the ecosystem, like maybe I should be attacking. Uh, but I think, you know, you know, white hats kind of should see this as a similar call to action like here's a relatively untested portion of the ecosystem maybe i should be attacking to be able to you know file vulnerabilities before before the bad guys do find them yeah antoine gleb if you're out there they're my favorite white hats on the uh, on the lady network they're probably all over it antoine specifically Clip yeah, if you, if you want to reproduce this, Tony actually posted it on... Uh, he's working on a thing for the, his tab comp workshop. It's called Ellen Sploit, and it's you know to, to run different um, attacks on the Lightning Network. And he has added now this <laughs> LND breaker, as, as I think it's probably the first exploit he's actually got in, the, in there. <laughs> but if you go on Stacker News, pull up pull up Ellen Sploit, you can, you can break your own, like, Reg te local reg test network, if you'd like. I mean, the uh, the LND network, uh, LND is already uh, broken by the single transaction on mainnet, so you can't like re-break it or extra break it or anything like that. But if you start up a new reg test network, you can you experiment, exper experiment, and, and experience breaking LND yeah. yourself. So, I'm gonna ask like, why weren't other implementations affected? And I assume it's because they don't have this BTC dependency mm -hmm. yep um but do you foresee any taproot like <sighs> unknowns affecting things like uh core lightning declare ldk i mean if i knew those things i would be i think i would be working <laughs> working on them or telling somebody <laughs> about them no i'm not <laughs> i would love to be able to anticipate those kind of of unknown unknowns uh, but um, I mean, there are, it's just, I mean, you know, the whole, the, the whole Musig, eventually, you know, Lightning will want to upgrade to these native um, taproot multi-sig that will just look like, you know, like, like a single a, sig. Yeah. In the happy path, they'll just look like a single sig on chain and that would be great. Um, Helps for privacy. Yeah, it'd be super helpful for privacy. It'll make, yeah, it will it'll basically create an awesome non-set for Lightning channel opens. Um, so, you know, that's going to be, that's just going to be a, a huge shift for Lightning. Um, and so there's just going to be a lot of work to do. Um, and, and, and there are also, I mean, the, the cool thing about the, uh, it's like the same reason that, it's kind of dangerous to have more than one Bitcoin implementation as, as sad and kind of boring as that is. Um, there's kind of this really great strength to having multiple uh, uh, lightning implementations. I mean, I know for instance that the LDK um, has discovered a lot of problems with lightning 
just just by by virtue of being another implementation, writing their own tests, you know, uh, getting things working. Um, there's been you know random um, interoperability problems between between the the Lightning Node implementations. And while on the Bitcoin layer, that's like oh interoperability problems. We're talking hard forks, like that's awful. Um, and the Lightning. It, it it means you know it means a, a chance to better refine our definition of this kind of looser consensus because what it, it doesn't really matter if that guy over there runs whatever you know he made his own lightning node implementation out of duct tape you know if you and I our channel works and we can you know pass these HDLCs back and forth and sign things and update. If, if it's working between us, Lightning's working. And if it works with you and me and, and Alice and then Bob, and we can route through the four of us, Lightning's working. It doesn't matter if, if someone somewhere else on the, on the Lightning network is running something weird and it breaks. So, so in, that's a kind of an awesome strength of the Lightning network is that in one sense, consensus doesn't matter. Yeah, you create this, I mean, I don't want to say bifurcated, but insulated zones within the topology of the network where people running different implementations can still communicate with each other. And even with other implementations, the, the interoperability is there, but no, it's a fascinating, fascinating case study we've, we've stumbled into this week as preview. I'm like about to sit down for Sunday night dinner and I hear like, I just see Ben laughing. Like he's a broke <laughs> LMD. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, um, Going back, luckily this happened in the bear market too. Mm. Like, again, we're probably lucky. Number one, that it was found, discovered, patched. But number two, the timing of it all. Like, can you imagine raging bull net bull market? Everybody's like, "Lightning's the future of payments," and then you have this. Oh, um, the, the most popular implementation just doesn't work correctly. Well, I think that's why it's just so important that we break our own shit ourselves. Because I think it's embarrassing if other people find our problems for us. So we should we should be actively trying to break lightning as much as possible to make sure because I do have this vision of it as, you know, it's it's an alternative to, to Visa. It's um the the UI UX of Lightning I think is already superior to credit cards in most cases. Other than like I really like like boop to pay. Um, the fact you don't even have to unlock your phone. Um as much i i don't know i, re, I really like uh, the tap to pay credit card experience but like buying some shoes online you know it's just it's just it's just ridiculous and then buying a digital product online where they don't need shouldn't even need your shipping address and the fact that you're putting in your phone number and your email you know, all this stuff for a credit card form it's just stupid so uh, lightning has some awesome uh, advantages just in UI wise, and then it has this final settlement aspect to it that's that's beautiful from a financial point of view, and it has unlimited scalability due to this you know this peer to peer nature where you know it, it does not there's no limit to how many how how much you know because it's not centrally coordinated there's no limit to how big it can scale how many transactions it could handle, so it's 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 really great. But it needs to. It, I think some of the biggest problems right now is Tor. Tor's is Tor fucked. I'm I'm over Tor. Um, Seems just and then I. It's dumb to say that because I don't have a 
you know, uh, uh, here's a, a better thing than Tor. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you're talking about payment reliability, and that's going to be really important for a, a mass adoption, um, you can't have this unreliable. If you can't have core parts of the, of the routing happening over Tor. So we need to, so either we're going to sacrifice on privacy by making clear net connections between important nodes, which also could be pretty centralizing. Um, uh, or we find other ways that are hopefully still private, but uh, hopefully lower latency and more resilient um, and, and have more uptime than Tor does to be the backbone of this network. Yeah, because it's been, what, six months since Tor started getting DDoSed. Like, I mean, it's been getting DDoSed for, for years, but it seems like this particular distributed well, denial of service attack is extremely successful. Tor has a, a it has, it, Tor's problem is that it is in something centralized. It's hard to make things, it's hard to make a good communications network without that centralization. But if you think about it, Lightning is in some sense a better model for how you'd want to make some sort of network of things that achieve a Which useful will, end, yeah. right? Like there's no there's no uh, directory that you go in the Lightning Network to look up things about nodes, right? Because that's what gets like DDoS in, in Tor is these these kind of these these net these these special nodes in Tor that can tell you how to get other places in the network. Um, I2P, I really want to, I really would love, I mean, p please reach out to me. I, I think we need, so, I, I, I don't want to suggest that we need a task force in the sense of we need some people to sit around and have meetings about this problem but not achieve something. But we need to find a group of uh, crack engineers in the Bitcoin ecosystem to, to look into how we, we solve this. But, but like I, I2P is really interesting. Obviously, Bitcoin D already has it. Bitcoin uh, Core implemented too. Right, right. Sorry, yeah, Bitcoin Core um, has has. Oh yeah, Bitcoin D is Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, I'm just talking about the the the, <laughs> the executable. Uh, the yeah, so I2P already exists, and I2P has much more of a P2P kind of mindset. But like you know, P2P for actual uh, internet things is just you know it's tough. It, it that's I don't think I2P necessarily. Is, is is the full solve, but it'd be cool if it is. But whatever we do, we just need to find better ways. I mean, maybe we maybe we run it all over Nostra. I I don't know. Are you Nostrable? I yeah yeah I am. I really like it. I do too. I, I think it's really beautiful how simple it is, and that simplicity has attracted a lot of developers, and the complexity that is necessary to, to achieve the applications you'd actually want to, to do are only need to be adopted by the application who, who actually needs that feature. So it, I, I think it's, I think it's really smart and uh, I think it's really beautiful. I haven't had a lot of time to work on it. I started like some Noster rust thing if, and just kind of abandoned it. Um, but I, I used uh, Damas the Damas before as well. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, Enigma. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, so that's, that's basically a hub and spoke model where you have these, uh, these very dumb relays, right? Via web sockets. Correct. Yeah. That's all via web sockets. So, I mean, that doesn't solve, that doesn't solve the, 
the lightning communication problem per se, other than the fact that um, the idea of, you know, maybe you have these routing nodes or, I mean, if you think of, if you think of the hub and spoke model of how it ends up working for money to flow around, you eventually kind of almost need something very similar at like the network layer. You need like a mirror image somehow of lightning the monetary network at a network layer to keep things communicating. And I, I don't know. I've, I've been trying to think. I, I'm trying to think in kind of high level thoughts of, of, of what this ultimately looks like. Because ultimately, for two machines to communicate, you know, like in the IP protocol, I need to know your IP address to communicate with your with your machine. There and then, uh, unless you do some sort of proxy. So, like, um, actually, one interesting alternative to the Tor thing is what Lightning Labs is doing with um, uh, Lightning Node Connect, mm -hmm. and that's basically like a proxy mailbox. So. It's hard to get my Raspberry Pi and my phone to have a stable connection between each other, but they can both find this proxy up in the cloud. Very reliable proxy. Right. And potentially, I think, lower latency than uh, Tor, probably. So they can both connect to that and, and send, uh, you know, basically the same traffic that they would have sent over Tor, but now they just do it through that proxy and um and that's it's you know it's it's relatively private it's not the most private uh but it's a pretty good solution so i don't know that's that's one way that's potentially you know how how and and it doesn't have to be run by ellen uh lightning labs like uh as they roll this out i think there'll be multiple providers providing these proxies so you can choose who you want to trust to be your middleman um yeah, yeah. The, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of potential solutions. Yeah. And back to Nostra, the big knock. I mean, it's not even a knock yet because it hasn't happened. But people worry that scale, or if it gets too popular, it will be susceptible to Sybil attacks. Correct. I always forget which one Sybil attack is. Um, we just have like a bunch of. It's not the same as a as a DDoS, but like it's pretending to be somebody. I believe isn't that what Sybil is? Like, like spam, spammy accounts. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about so so the thing about Noster is I choose which pub keys I'm looking for. Like, I want to subscribe to the the events published by this set of pub keys, and I tell um, a a uh, they're not called routers, whatever they're called. I forget what they're called in Noster, but um, I tell Relay Relay Node, yeah which pub keys I, I want to be tell and, and I, I probably tell like five different relays like i'm looking for messages from from these pub keys now if a ton of people are subscribing to relays or a ton of people are publishing to relays these relays are gonna like like buckle under that volume of traffic um and they're going to need to somehow be incentivized to wh whose messages they receive whose messages they store, and who do they forward their messages to. So somewhere along that chain, some I believe someone will be needing to pay the relay for their service. In sets. I believe in sets. Can you think of a better money? No, I can't. I find safety in sets. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Big fan. It's so uh, so fascinating. 
and we're working on all this. What's a few? I mean, you started listening to the show in 2018. Now you're full time working on Bitcoin at Voltage and Mutiny and other projects. You created the um, testnet version of uh, the first Fediment with Fluttermint, right? They did a mainnet transaction. Yeah, they did one, but you created the uh, the iOS app, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. iOS Fluttermint. The fl- Flutter. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of it's I mean a lot of it's credit to the the, the podcast you and Parker did uh, about the kind of this call to arms of like you know let's retreat from the cities, um, come to another city, and move to another <laughs> the liberal bastion of, of Texas. Texas. <laughs> but let's you know I, I was I was suffering in New York and um, as we all were at one point, and uh, so you know what if I. Um, prioritize getting a job in bitcoin which i did um at voltage and prioritize getting to austin where the bitcoin developers are and um see what i could build and and so uh i did that um and it's just been absolutely wonderful it's just been so so cool to be you know i was uh, I was in the commons just working on whatever I was working on. And it comes to the end of the day and I'm like, Hey, Justin, what are you working on? He's like, Oh, I made this like real simple UI. So you could, uh, you know, so you can do, um, Fediment stuff from an app. Very simple, but very ugly. Yeah. It was, it was, sim- it was simple and it was ugly. And so like, well, it's like, well, I could, add, I could add a drop shadow to something here. And, um, so I just started working with him on, on, on a uh, Fluttermint. Uh, and, and then they, they had a big sprint in kind of this past month to get it ready to, to demo. And then I see this tweet where Eric did a, like a main net transaction for me, that is the biggest incentive. There's something so cool to me that the code I write like moves money. Like it's like it, it touches its hand and it's scary because I could get it wrong. Um, but usually I'm not doing like the really low level logic. Mostly I'm doing more of the user interface. So usually I can blame somebody else. <laughs> um, but yeah, seeing that picture, like it almost made me tear up. Like here is this app I built that just purchased you know, coffee, the most cliche thing in the world to you know, buy with lightning. But it's, um, yeah, that's just that it's really important to me and it's very empowering. You know, it, there's no other like ecosystem like how many other developers outside of Bitcoin, their code moves money, you know? I think that's pretty rare. Yeah, unless you're working at like Stripe or... Yeah, yeah, and there's, or... there's so many regulatory barriers. It's like, it's, like, it's like illegal. It's basically, it's like against the law to write code that moves money most of the time. Um, and then we have this better money with an open API, basically, that you can just write code that, that moves money. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, for me, like that ends up being a big, a big motivator. I want to get a lot better. Uh, I feel like I have a ton to learn. Um, you know, I helped um, with, with Carr and Sawhill. We started the Austin Bitcoin Design Club. So I want to get m- more understanding of UX. Um, I'm, I'm definitely like very passionate that, that we can get better at UX in Bitcoin, but do it in like kind of a Bitcoiny way. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's something I say on this show a lot. If your designer wants to innovate and really leave your mark on the world, come to Bitcoin and design UIs and user experiences. Cause when you think of the canvas that Bitcoin provides in terms of 
basically creating experiences where people interact with private public key pairs, where they're interacting with these HTLCs or eventually PTLCs on the Lightning Network. They're managing uh, on-chain SATs and Lightning Network SATs, Fediment SATs, whatever it may be. Like there's, it's almost incalculable, unfathomable. We can't even fathom the types of design interactions that are needed to be created. You have different address structures. You have legacy addresses. You have wrap segwit. You have back 32 native segwit. Now you have taproot. And how do you communicate that to users? How do you make sure they're comfortable with what they're doing? How do you integrate multi-sig and mm-hmm. all the backups for the derivation pass and all that shit? Well, we, we, this is a real uh, common, um, I mean, in, in, in at voltage, you know, someone knows about Bitcoin. They know about Lightning. They know that they need to run a Lightning node. They get all hyped up and they get a voltage account and they create a Lightning node. And then, like, they they learned so much and they understood so much about money and Bitcoin and Lightning and they they uh, they understood so much of the stack, but they didn't they didn't have enough to keep going. <laughs> to actually have run a successful node and like open channels and stuff like that. So like that, that uh, there's so much growth sometimes required by the user right now in our products. The, the, the hard thing is, is that I think from the Bitcoin perspective, you know, like one of the most famous books of uh, in UX design is called don't make me think. Yeah. And how, how fiat of a phrase can you imagine? <laughs> And, and I think, you know, I, I know this from like kind of a tech journalism background is that we would judge products based on like basically like how well they held your hand, like how easy is this to use? But if you think about, um, if you think about your life, like, like, you know, what are the most valuable things in your life, you know? Yeah, I'm not. I'll, I'll guess for you, uh, but your your wife, your kids, mm-hmm. health, like which of those is really easy, like to achieve? Like the most important things to us are the things that require a level of responsibility, dedication, like a grind and a and a faithfulness and and um like an ever deepening understanding and, and just a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And that's what is the most important to us. So it's weird to imagine that the most important, best software in our lives would be so easy that you wouldn't even have to think that you could just brain off and just like blindly feel around on this app and do the right thing. Um, like that is what, you know, Instagram does to, to uh, like, get you addicted to coming back every 45 minutes or whatever their whatever the cadence that they've calculated is the most <laughs> profitable without making you suspicious <laughs> whatever they, they they dial that experience in so that you know you need to come back in a certain amount of time um, so many of our our, our um, experiences especially like media experiences are, are really designed around kind of controlling us and and, and addicting us so volt so uh, big, from a Bitcoin perspective, you know, I think our our, our interface is going to have to be so different with this. Under, I mean, I, I always bring up Sparrow as my favorite example of a of a, of a it's a, a very easy to use, beautiful app, um, but that is clearly educating you about what you're doing. And you see 
this you know transaction you see these inputs and you see these outputs it's kind of visualizing a mempool.space like you can imagine a version of mempool.space just said like is like a binary it is is one set per byte good or bad right now you know but instead it's this beautiful user interface that and then they keep on evolving it um like if, if you want to pull up that uh, that transaction again uh, that barack did um the, yeah so that that um click on the link yeah click through it, it it's in a different language but if you scroll up uh or in the browser bar if you get rid of that to everything it, it there's like a like a, a language so i think it's t tr he's turkish right yeah something like that if you just get rid of the tr and just have it slash tx it should be in english again okay there we go so yeah this is the transaction um like there's a obviously a lot of a lot going on in in mempool.space but it's beautiful and it and in some sense it's teaching you so here is this flow of 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 you know this this input and output um <laughs> so yeah this big input bar which is the 998 signatures necessary um and you can see the features that are turned on segwit taproot uh replaced by fee um you can see the fee he paid pay he paid four dollars and 81 cents to break lightning <laughs> the less than five dollar barack attack yeah and you can actually if you click in on details i believe um in on the right of inputs and outputs you can see the script that, um that, yeah that box there you go that that is this uh the, the witness don't ask me too much about this stuff. I'm not great at on-chain stuff, but that is the witness that was larger than was ever possible with SegWit v0. This would have been rejected by a Bitcoin node um, um, if if it was a SegWit v0 transaction. Because but because it's a SegWit v1, a taproot uh, transaction, this is legitimate. This is allowed now. Yeah up to enti an entire block please please don't ever put that in a shout out and make me read it on there freaks but yeah <laughs> uh, uh no you just mentioned like that's another thing like so you say segwit version zero and segwit version one you're talking about like back 32 and people don't realize you're gonna have six like there are 16 different versions that you could have within back 32 right so like now we have taproot which is version one version two could be taproot something else yeah ta tap taproot squared yeah hyper tap yeah yeah well, I, I, that was a a, a a thing that segwit got us that what because segwit is a pretty ha hacky addition is it segwit or beck 32 they got us this i don't know enough to to the address speak structure to that yeah but 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 somehow in segwit we got this versioning scheme and now that we have this versioning yeah, scheme we can yeah iterate on that without having to do as big big of a hacky change as segwit was yeah but then this gets back to i mean i mean early bitcoin like this is one of mercia Popescu's big he he hated the concept of back 32 uh there, there were a lot of early bitcoiners who were like legacy address maximalists like the mm. one one in front of the address is people in early Bitcoin thought moving forward, like you should only ever have legacy type addresses and that's created a lot of controversy. Um, but maybe what Barack did on Sunday is a validation of that. Like, hey, yeah, it's cool to have all these things, but do you 
increase the attack surface or the unknowns that allow for more instability within the network. You do. And and I, I really want, um, I mean the, the L2 E L T O O, um, ideas the basically these there's some real strong improvements to lightning that are potentially possible with some set of soft forks and um i think i think that would be great uh but yeah you you're you're increasing the the tax surface i think very few things increase the tap attack surface uh, you know actually it's just really hard to say it, it's it's hard yeah. to know for sure and and that's kind of the hard part about it is it's also hard to communicate some level of confidence like, Oh, this, this change to um, consensus feels really safe. And like, it doesn't have a lot of collateral damage. Whereas this one doesn't like getting a a broad understanding of why that is. I feel like taproots improvements were, were uh, a, strong enough that it was able to like how many people really understand how taproot works probably a lot fewer than people who understand the obvious advantages of top taproot i fall into the uh the latter bucket there yeah um and and pretty much myself as well uh, but other soft forks um like jeremy rubin's the one that comes to mind that are slightly hard it, that it's a slightly harder sell of what the actual advantage is have such a huge uphill because you're basically asking someone accept this hard to parse blob of of potentially damaging things so jeremy wants to introduce covenants via op check template verify which would need to enable another op code they're sort of re-enabling an op code and adding to it correct what he wants to do, I believe. I think there's some like kind of reserve spots for opcodes. I think it yeah. just uses one of those. I'm not sure because they because um, they moonlighted, not moonlighted, but they took out a bunch of opcodes that Satoshi had originally. People are like, "Hey, you're gonna fucking bork the system." But yeah, no, it's controversial. So what Paul's describing here is Jeremy Rubin wants to use op check template verify to bring covenants to Bitcoin, which would uh, enable these complex transaction schemes where you can have like a bunch of if and functions if this happens and this happens sent to this address and you can like pay people and do it in a very automated fashion yeah it seems appealing but again i'm too dumb to know <laughs> what it does to the attack surface right and they might it might really not be not, not that much might be a nothing bear yeah i i, I actually i think i actually kind of like that soft work potentially uh, personally but it's you know who, who am I to say that this is great because I don't fully understand the system well enough to really be sure. But the problem is who who truly fully understands the system well enough to be sure. And how can you know that they know what they're talking about? Yeah, how do you how do you build trust? I mean, this is something I've been thinking a lot about uh, since um, the 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 Bitcoin Miami and actually hearing the the the. Um, the Fediment guys, um, OB and Eric, I think this was before Fedi was announced, but yeah, it was, um, hearing them talk about, um, trust as, as how they're solving this custody problem, um, really got me thinking of this kind of like trust is a scaling solution. Um, and so in, in, in some sense, you know, trusting certain, uh, Bitcoin core developers, is a way of scaling like the 
decision making process or yeah because ultimately it matters what us node runners think about what they think because that's ultimately how you're actually going to get you know any sort of consensus change any sort of soft work through is a wide wide acceptance among node runners um and or miners you know who i don't want to exactly specify what the soft fork process is because it's still obviously a little vague but um yeah it, it, it so w but most of us are going to be less technical than feel comfortable like putting our stamp we're going to put somebody else's stamp so how do we learn who to trust like so big bitcoin say you know don't trust verify but what if you're incapable of verifying? Just not trusting anybody ever is not actually how we go through life. So how do we get good at trust? Yeah, trust is an essential part of humanity. Yeah. And yeah, people often conflate the very true underlying ethos of Bitcoin, which is like, don't trust verify, don't trust that Coinbase is sending you or your wallet software is sending you the correct address, verify, via your node and that's particularly easy to to verify running a cli command or something like that um if i can do it most people should be able to do it but then yeah you get into these headier more obscure ideas of making protocol changes where you have to trust that somebody understands the cryptography and the interaction between the addition of this new code with the pre-existing code or how consensus mechanism reacts if you pull something out and that's something i'm just completely unqualified to discern for myself mm. and it is scary that eventually bitcoin ends up in some some such complicated of a system that nobody no human can really it's, not, it's it becomes kind of intractable it's just it's just the system and we just hope we hope and pray <laughs> that it stays up I don't want, that doesn't seem very uh i know a, a really the more like a really awesome version of Bitcoin that I could conceive of is some something that could eventually abandon legacy uh, stuff so that it could try to keep it. You know, like everybody says, you know, ECDSA was a, a hacky uh, workaround because Pat Schnorr was patented. Schnorr was patented. So wouldn't it be nice now that we have Schnorr, we could somehow simplify, you know, and we're just we're just so we're just gonna have Segwit. Um, and we're just going to have Schnorr and we just, everything else should still work, but can't, can't create new ones of those. That's, you know, but we don't, we don't have that option in Bitcoin. Um, but that, that is, that would be kind of a beautiful world if somehow we could at least shed legacy as we add new things and that somehow we're narrowing towards a, a simpler system over time. Yes. I mean, I've always been pro get to as much ossification as possible i would like to see it in cruise control and you're only doing like maintenance and, and stuff that's absolutely necessary that's very obvious um because again I, I like the idea of creating this consensus mechanism that everybody can agree on and then you just build um with the because now i'm like in my own head because i saw peter wool a tweet out the other day like i don't like the concept of layers like lightning network isn't a layer it's like bitcoin and then you build software on top of that but i'll just use a layer topology well, like on top of it yeah well it's not really on top so it's like it's within the network with a two or two right multi-sig and then i guess you're building something on top of that because there is another node topology with it 
we'll just use layers. But the idea of main chain, consensus engine, and the protocol just being solidified, and then you just build an anchor into that has always resonated with me. With that being said, like we do know, and this is something most people don't like to talk about, even like the hardcore devs, like we do know that we need at least one hard fork in Bitcoin. Mm. So we have to figure out how to plan for that. It's like the timestamp thing. Yeah, the Unix timestamp. It's called the, uh, I think it's the 2032 bug, but it won't affect Bitcoin until 2106. Mm. Last estimate with block production times. Because um, the way Unix works, it sort of has a Y2K-like function where it just zeroes out. Mm. And that would fuck up consensus. So we need to hard fork to fix that at some point in the next 80 years. Right. And that's really interesting. And I definitely don't have a good opinion on, on what's the best move here. But but do you make that the smallest possible, most surgical hard fork of all time that only touches that one thing? Or do you get Or it do you use it as this, like, here's our chance. Here's our one chance. We get L2. We get CIS. We do this crazy cleanup. Um, oh, well, see, that would be even adding features. I, I don't think you have to do that right then. But the, it, it's something that could be added via soft fork, probably should be added via soft fork. But, like, the idea of, like, cleaning up, like, legacy hacks that, you know, in the hard, hard fork. Like, if you're going to actually break compatibility with Man in the Coma, you know, we've been really in this very serious informal contract with man in the coma yes we always look out for our man in the coma i take this i personally take it very seriously um but if we have to break man in the coma's node um that seems like the chance to potentially remove some legacy crap well this is something i I don't i don't know if that's the right engineering decision well i haven't heard from this in a while so there is a way to think of the man in the coma while doing this and stopping decrypt this is actually me and him actually i so i Asked the question at Baltic Honey Badger 2018. It was like Adam Back. I think Peter Todd Giacomo were on stage. And I was in the crowd. And I asked the question, like, what are we going to do about this 2032 bug? Uh, and they, like, brushed it off. Like, stop and decrypt. And I talked after that. And he makes a really good point. Is like, you don't have to hard fork right away. But, like, in some version, whether it be version 22.0 or something, you should have the hard fork in the code so somebody goes into a coma after version 22.0 or whatever and the hard uh, fork happens when they're in the coma their node will hard fork but can you coordinate that 80 years uh in advance i don't know uh, and that would be a good argument for keeping it small then yeah but i like that bacon yeah let's front run those comas yeah exactly yeah yeah um no but these are like unpopular subjects that people don't like. People just like to think of Bitcoin as this perfect thing. It works. It's going to take over the world. Hyper-Bitcoinization is coming, but it is a distributed uh, software project at the end of the day. It comes with a lot of of kinks. It's got a lot of little little hacky things. It's written in C++. You know, that's a... (laughs) (laughs) It's it's hard to work with. I was theorizing with with Ben on this, like, you know, this whole BTCD bug. It's like if you imagine, imagine if... um, you know, C++ is compiled down to machine code that is ultimately what runs on um, your computer. And, like, we know that the BIPs aren't really Bitcoin, right? They're trying to describe the protocol, but that's not probably precise enough. Probably what's Bitcoin is the C++ code. 
but what's actually run is the machine code on your on your CPU. Um, but but there's different compilers that can compile C++ and also they compile differently based on architecture. So Raspberry Pi's ARM. Mm-hmm. So that's one architecture. So very different machine code than like your desktop computer might be x86. Um, and so that's a whole different compile path. In M1. That's ARM as well. Oh, but, nice. but, but it's a very different ARM, you know? And so you can imagine some compile bug um, that causes a hard fork, right? Well, what, which Bitcoin is real Bitcoin? The one I'm using. <laughs> you hope so. <laughs> you really hope so. Um, but I think that's just a kind of an interesting way to think. And that's kind of something that I appreciate about this L&D bug is that it's kind of helping me just because it, it, it you know, understanding consensus and then how consensus interfaces with this layer two or whatever term Peter Wola recommends, I'm, I'm happy to adopt. Um, but yeah, how how this all this whole very complicated system all interacts is 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 very interesting. Not solved. No. Not. I mean, you know, and Jeremy Rubin went with went through this with trying to propose a soft fork. You know, that's not a solved process. And, and to be honest, there's an aspect of it that true having perfect knowledge and total understanding of how the system works would potentially be it's sort of step one of having some sort of attack vector of controlling the system. If you knew for a certainty how to get a soft fork into Bitcoin, then socially attack it. Yeah. Then you're the, then if you're a a bad guy, that's where you bake in your attack is, is your slam dunk soft fork that you just invented. Yeah. This is why, uh, there's something beautiful about rough consensus, right? Like that. I mean, that's been really driven to the fore post taproot conversations around up CTV trying to get that in. It's like, how do you actually do these consensus changes or these soft works? Not always a consensus change, but um, yeah, you have things like speedy trial. People really didn't like that. Then you have the BIP 91, which is going on during the fork wars. And it seems like from my observation, there's going to be like a different activation method each time. Because people are just always going to fight over one yeah, not being and, optimal. And and people, I don't want to just call them complainers because that's not, that's reductive. But the uh, highly critical and vocal people will find reasons to be highly critical and vocal about everyone. Because each method, no, no method is actually going to be correct or perfect. Um, so I think that's not an excuse to just do anything. But um, I, I think, I actually... This kind of makes me think of, and I'm actually really curious on your take on this. Have you noticed this trend in the past, maybe I'd say three months, to be like really, really critical of Lightning? Uh, I mean, it hasn't. I've been noticing it for quite a while. So, so where? I mean, where do you think this? Where do you think it comes from? Because I, I, I want to be, I want to be like. I have this like initial skepticism of lightning. I obviously I work at a lightning company, but Bitcoin is kind of a a bit of like a miracle. It's like a once in a thousand years kind of invention. Right. And so the idea that you'd have another, something on the order of quality right away. Eight years later. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's, it's, it's a little, you know, it's shocking. 
Uh, it seems improbable. And that's not a great heuristic of why lightning won't work, but it's just, you know, something that sticks in the back of my head of like, hey, there's no there's no guarantee here that lightning is the exact right answer for for how to scale Bitcoin. No, but certainly I, not guaranteed. But I again, see a lot of hate. Uh, a lot uh, what i don't know a lot of people kind of dunking on lightning and i'm wondering like what do you think is motivating that right this second or is there's nothing new here so yeah one thing to comment and then a question for you mm-hmm. comment is comparing lightning's innovation on par with what satoshi brought with bitcoin let's say like it is probably an order of magnitude or two below the distributed uh no topology with a proof of work consensus mechanism with a built-in difficulty adjustment. I mean, lightning is very cool, but mm. sort of just building and anchoring into that. And everybody's very wide open with the trade-offs. Like, Hey, you're, um, you can closer to the center of the centralization spectrum. Uh, there are trade-offs with lightning. You can run it in a decentralized way, but it's, it's harder and people are comfortable with those trade-offs. Um, so I would say like, it's not, I don't think lightning is like on par with what Bitcoin brought to the world, but it is certainly incredible. Um, and then too, like what particular, um, things are people saying that are sticking out to you? I don't, I don't dwell on them. So I don't, I don't really, I mean, there is one thing, I mean, I just know I've been using lightning. We've been running our node and our node has been set and forget it. When we first set up our TFTC node. I funded it um, with a bunch of Bitcoin and DJ manages our channels and it's just been running and uh, it works. And people are streaming us sats right now. People are buying newsletters, shout outs, whatever. It just works for me every day. I use, mm-hmm. li- I use Lightning every day. Maybe not sending every day, but certainly receiving every day. It works. But yeah, as somebody who's built uh, monetization, a business monetization, avenue via the lightning network that does linger in the back of my mind like it is there's some point in the future where yes lightning works now and it's really good Mm. Um, but is that a product of its relative scale if it scales up does that success continue will it collapse in and if it scales up will become antagonistic and you know are are we are we in some sort of honeymoon phase where we're not actually dealing with true like attacks on the lightning network yeah imagine if it becomes tour that would suck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you, you know, you can't have, um, uh, like a just some, I, you I can't I, have rose, rose colored glasses about yeah. it. Yeah. And you can't have a just sometimes networks payment network. Like yeah. I, I went to a gas station the other day, um, and their card was down. So they just locked the door. Their card reader was down. So they just like locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> no gas today. Yeah. You could, I, yeah. No gas today. No snacks today. You know, our, our, our machines down, um, th- that obviously doesn't, um, that doesn't work as, as a payment system. So, so it, I think there's something, there is a potential, I have this very optimistic spin for the centralization and I don't know if it's going to come true at all, but I like really, really would hope is I can imagine node running becoming kind of like a game and if it became possible to be a profitable node runner with a small amount of capital, like let's say on the scale of a hundred to a thousand dollars, 
Um, so something that like you get it, you like you parlay your lawn mowing funds as a teen into this hot new node running game and you find inefficiencies in the network and you just exploit the hell out of them. And like, I can imagine these kind of like almost like toggle channels that are just, they're just designed for very high frequency back and forth routing so that it's not like a channel that just slowly drains in this one direction and you get fees over time and then you have to rebalance it with an on-chain. Like in this future of, of node running as a game, you've got to stay it's very, very lightweight as far as how often you go on-chain because on-chain is going to be relatively expensive compared to the, the kind of money you're earning. But if you can find a way to run this toggle channel and you're just getting fees back and forth, back and forth. Um, and that somehow that system becomes inefficient um, because, you know, hub and spoke is a scaling method, but ultimately hubs get bogged down. Um, they can only handle so many spokes. So you're going to need more and more hubs. Um, I, hopefully, you know, node implementations get more scalable and uh, more resilient and they can handle more spokes as well. But um, so anyways, that's my like absolutely most optimistic case for, for the way they where you, we have a bunch of teens running around just profiting like crazy every time we make a lightning transaction. Cause it, you know, right, right through their nodes. Cause their nodes are just so well positioned. I could see, I mean, if the machine payable web becomes a thing and that increases the amount of transactions to, to orders of magnitude above what we are imagining right now. I can see that definitely becoming a thing. But even if it doesn't, like I've always had this, like again, I'm a media company. Mm. We run our node, we balance our channels. Like I think when Bitcoin adoption hits a certain tipping point, it becomes, and we hit a moment where it's like, yeah, this is happening. This is like how we should build our payments avenues for our company. Um, and this is like our bank now is Bitcoin. I think companies are just going to have dedicated lightning node operators that are paid to make sure that they're have a node up and running and it's profitable. And so in that world, we have media companies running nodes, banks running nodes, payment companies running nodes, car washes running nodes, whatever. Um, I think that provides sufficient decentralization as well. Well, you can also imagine a world like that. If most nodes are running by people who are relatively like full time, like if you think of how the actual internet is work, how the how the actual internet works, um, there's these like peering agreements, and a lot of them are run like they basically there's there are the people who choose which fiber optic things plug into which switches and how they kind of share network. And a lot of that, um, especially, you know, I don't know where things are at now, but I, I feel like I was looking into this a lot during like the whole net neutrality debate. And basically there's a lot of these informal agreements, you know, among the dudes running these networks. And obviously there's also business, business agreements between these networks. It's like, okay, I have a lot of outbound internet traffic. I'm kind of looking to balance that out on this pipe or, you know, what whatever it might be. That 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 network works really well i I, I think the internet broadband i think is it's working right now it's pretty pretty dang good um so if, if you could imagine some a, a layer two you could either imagine lightning will work like this with with kind of high touch relationships between channel partners not, not just 
um, you know, spray and pray, connecting channels with random anonymous nodes. Um, but you could also imagine a simpler layer two of payment channels um, between people. Like maybe it doesn't even have to be the whole network. Like maybe, you know, a channel moving funds back and forth. You know, maybe you could imagine something simpler with a little less consensus, a, le a little less try to solve everything of an ethos uh, than Lightning has. You could imagine a, a layer two that would be simpler designed for, you know, like two, two banks, you know, think of how, you know, banks at the, like want to settle their checks at the end of the day or whatever. And like, oh, I have some of your money. You have some of me. If you just had one big fat payment channel and you just push stuff back and forth. Um, and then if, if, you know, if you run out, if, if, if it gets too far on one end, you maybe close and start a new one. Um, so you can imagine just non-lightning payment channels being an important aspect of a Bitcoin financial system. Like it doesn't yeah. have to have all the complication of, of lightning. No. Even though we're thinking very adversarial this episode, I'm very bullish on lightning. Um, Me too. Again, I use it every day. I'm, it brings me value. I'm building a lightning wallet right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I love using it. And I love the UX. And it, yeah, it's awesome. I really want to figure out subscribes. I think, I think sub subscribe, because like, I don't, I don't like streaming small amounts of money over time, but I also am a little tired of skipping to like seven and a half minutes into every hey, TFTC episode. You're going to have to do that for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so I want to be able to pay you the equivalent of like five or $10 a month. And then every time I get, um, TFTC, RHR, there's no, there's no ad read. And, um, and so that's kind of the world I want to live in. And I've definitely supported other podcasts like on Patreon. I started a podcast for a little while on Patreon and people subscribed and paid to me. I mean, the, you're obviously banking on the idea that people are going to subscribe to you and they forget they're subscribed to you. And that's a kind of part of the business model, but we don't have to do that in Bitcoin. We just need some sort of protocol where I click subscribe when I'm on TFTC's site. And that opens up my wallet and tells my wallet about this recurring thing that I want to do. You're, it's, you're not going to be pulling payments from my wallet. It's my wallet. But I want to encode into my wallet my desire to pay you on a recurring basis. And then my wallet will remind me and it will say, hey, it's time to pay Marty or he's going to start reading ads at you again. <laughs> and then I'll click yes and I'll feel good about myself. I think that future is possible. Obviously, the biggest hurdle is the RSS feed. But I, I forget who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody in like the last month. And apparently, the podcasting 2.0 team is working on a way to create a separate branch in RSS feed. So you can have the ad read MP3. And then you have a branch that's value for value podcasting 2.0 compatible. That is the audio without the ad read. Oh, that's exciting. And you can, I could be wrong. I could have dreamt this, but mm, it's a good dream. It is. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so the, the concept would be you have one RSS feed, two audio files, one with ads, one without, and those who are subscribing or paying sats mm. um, get the, I don't even think you would have to subscribe, you just have to be listening via Podcasting 2.0 app that has agreed to stream sats, you'd get the, the no ads version. Yeah, well, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I, I actually feel like uh, my time listening to podcasts has definitely like gone down over the past um, 
a year, especially maybe, you know, two years. No, no, pretty much a year that I've been, the year I've been in Austin, as I f- kind of feel like I'm, I'm getting more done and I have less downtime. I have like less time that feels like it's not productive. That is like the good time to listen to a podcast. Um, so yeah, it just makes me resent the ad reads a little bit more. I'm sorry. But, um, Got to feed my family. <laughs> I want you, I want you, I want them to eat. Uh, but do you, do you Paul? <laughs> Yeah, that's why I'm proposing a subscription <laughs> protocol for Lightning. So it's just so we should build that, and then we'll be good. Um, yeah, no, I'm the same way, though. I actually got jaded. I mean, I listened to so many podcasts between, like, 2011 and 2018. Actually, when I started this podcast, that's one thing. That's my alpha. Everybody's like, oh, like, do you, like, listen to everybody else's Bitcoin podcast and try to compete? Like, that's... That's like what I try not to do. I mm. try not to listen to unless there's like one where it's like, all right, I should do research on this because I'm probably going to talk to this guy at some point in the future, or girl. Um, but yeah, I don't really listen to any other podcasts in the Bitcoin space. I, when I listen to a podcast, it's usually like no agenda. I'll still listen to Rogan, like some history podcasts, but it's just mm. Tim Dillon just to like get out of the Bitcoin space for a while. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't listen to podcasts at all. Like only when I'm in the car. Like, Can- can I ask you a question as, as somebody trying to, like I tried to listen to the, I did actually listen to the, the Greg Moss. Greg Foss. Greg Foss. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> Greg Foss. Ma- Mark Moss and Greg Foss. Oh, there you go. That's Mark, what, Mark that, Foss. That's, yeah. Um, Greg Foss episode. Uh, I'm just really bad at a lot of macro terminology. And ever since I've been into Bitcoin, like listening to you talk listening to Preston Pish talk, like people who have experience in finance just have a set of probably like 25 nouns that I just, just lose me every time. Um, so like, yeah. So I, do you, could you explain in like f- five minutes what is going on in the larger world? Because I really feel like lately, th- this is one of the biggest, it feels like there's a, a financial crisis happening or unfolding and I, I feel like this is the first one that I'm not. It's like normally I rubberneck that the car crashes, and I'm not rubbernecking at this one because I just don't feel either like I comprehend what's going on or like I want to spend the time to comprehend what's going on. All right, five minutes. So, what's going on right now? Let's compare it to. So, what Greg and I talked about were sovereign credit default swap spreads, which are on the rise. So, if you remember going back to 2008. Yeah uh credit default default swaps cds's were a big part of the 2008 financial crisis they didn't drive the financial crisis but that's what the people in the big short the michael berries of the world they went out they noticed that the mortgage-backed securities were likely to fail so what they did was create these credit default swaps uh that allowed them to short that those products so it's like a bet on somebody going bankrupt yes exactly okay then you profit from it got it um, so that was 2008 housing crisis. Michael Berry and crew created specific credit default swaps to um, bet against the housing market, essentially, and they profited greatly from that. Fast forward to today and what we have, what Greg and I were focused on. Yes, we did talk about Credit Suisse's credit default swap spreads, um, which are on the rise as well. So that means people are betting that Credit Suisse is going to go under. But more importantly, 
what's really heavy right now is the fact that you have sovereign nation CDSs uh, on the rise, the spreads on the rise, which is signaling to the market that there's a lot more people thinking that sovereign nations are going to not be able to pay back the debt they've accrued. They're not going to be able to um, basically service the debt that they've accrued. So that's essentially, in a nutshell, in less than five minutes, what's going on right yeah. now. All these governments have issued a bunch of treasury bonds here, treasury bonds, and UK gilts, Bank of Japan, Japanese government bonds, uh, Bank of Japan. Um, and uh, basically they've all overextended themselves. Uh, Bank of Japan owns something like 47% of its bond market, so it's completely propping it up. Um, and so right now, as we're rolling into this energy crisis, this financial crisis, uh, that's having ripple effects across the global economy, most particularly in Europe, where energy prices are going up, so businesses are shutting down, less revenue to service the economy, to service the debt, and as well, at the same time, you have the Fed raising rates, which is increasing the interest payments on those debt, on that debt. So it's just basically what's happening right now is uh, a global shit show when, and it's becoming more and more obvious that the governments are not going to be able to pay back their debt. It's, and this is my kind of follow up on that. The Fed is raising rates, right? And that seems very bad for other countries. It's bad for us too. But when we print money, that's bad for other countries. Uh, in one way or another. Well, so it's just like, you know, like I, I'm, I, you know, I've heard Jimmy songs talk, right? Like when you buy a house, that bank prints $400,000 and that money is basically the devaluation of everybody else in the world's dollars. Yes. Um, so printing money is bad. Yes. It's all bad. Now with this, the, the Fed raising interest rates, in some sense, disincentivizing this bank's printing money, that is also seeming to be potentially very harmful to other, like to the most vulnerable economies. So, like, <laughs> it's I'm all- trying not to harm the most vulnerable economies. I'm in charge of the Fed. I mean, what you're, do I do? you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So it's the whole. It's the whole, so this is one of the other popular tropes on Wall Street for anybody who's like a Fed hawk and really is against the um, the invasive monetary policy or what's the involved, mon- like the Fed getting involved in monetary policy creates basically a rock and a hard place from which the Fed has to operate. And again, it goes back to the debt. So you have two ways you default on your debt. You either print your way out of it and just inflate away. Mm the money that you're paying back and you can pay back your debt, but the money that you're paying it back in is not worth anything or you overtly default, which um, is what the rising interest rate environment is creating. Um, Lower interest rate, you debase the money to a certain point. You can pay back the debt, but the money's worth nothing. Rising interest rate, um, you increase the amount of money on your interest payments. You don't have enough of that money to pay, so you just default on your debt. So both things would hurt your creditors. Yes, in one way or another. The former way, inflating away, is the more politically palatable way because it's a slow bleed, death by a thousand cuts. You wake up one day to Venezuela. Um, But this one happens much quicker. 
and is much right. more abrupt where you have right. UK pensions basically begging the bank. So you're off. arguing in favor of money printing is what I'm hearing. If you're, uh, it's probably the lesser of two evils. Actually, I'm actually a fan of like rip the bandaid off, like keep them high, let everybody default and transition okay. to a okay. Bitcoin standard. So I don't think we should kick the can down the road anymore. I mean, that's, yeah, I, did, I definitely think, I, I don't know. I, the, the, the thing I had uh, that really popped into my head in this last, like this kind of downturn, which seemed to really coincide with, you know, we, we, we've been like worried about these food shortages and stuff since like the pandemic started and all these kind of energy problems and stuff like that is that the, the printing really seems to lead to malinvestment. It's like yes. printing is, is all about value destruction. Um, and that seems, so I, I wanted to be like, let her rip and we get hyper Bitcoinization, at least in dollar terms. Um, like the Bitcoin becomes worth infinity dollars because dollars worth zero. And that sounds exciting. But in reality, I feel like that there would just be so much value destruction during that time that I want to avoid that if possible. Yeah. So the printing leads to value destruction and the tightening least a true price discovery <laughs> where it's like you had all that printing, all that malinvestment. Now interest rates are higher. People got to pay back more on their debt mm. and they're selling the things that aren't really valuable to service those debt obligations. So Bitcoin, we're, apparently. we're really finding out like what people value or what yeah. actual price of things are. It's just beautiful. It is, but it's also scary because uh, a lot of people, billions of people around the world have built this worldview and this economic edifice on top of, this facade yeah or it is the facade the worldview is the facade on top of the, fa the facade, facade was the foundation yeah it's all fucked <laughs> this is why we bitcoin yeah that's funny it's why i don't know for me personally my bitcoin journey this is i mean i came into it being really attracted to the economic properties of it and the monetary system but now fast forward it's almost been 10 years now um being able to sit here and talk to you about like BTCD and Taproot, like if you would have told 21 year old Marty, like he would understand all this weird distributed computing stuff and consensus and difficulty adjustments. You'd be like, wow, you fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I like, I like this. I like it. Um, that it's reality, you okay. know, like that's the, I like to just kind of dig into what is, what is real. And here's a money that we can build ourselves and, and iterate upon ourselves and improve ourselves. Um, and that it's kind of on us to understand and improve Bitcoin and build the tools on top of Bitcoin, which is probably, you know, going to be probably, I'm not, you're not going to see me doing a lot of good work in Bitcoin core probably, but you know, I, I, I think I can at least um, understand Bitcoin well enough to hopefully make it slightly more accessible to a user the Lightning Wallet user who wants some privacy, um, that's kind of a, my a medium-term goal right now. Uh, so it's I feel kind of pretty lucky to be in that position. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really really real. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not a facade. No, you can you can go check it for yourself. You can verify for yourself. It's fucking real, and it blows my mind that there's still talking heads out there. It's like it's a Ponzi. It's like all right. I actually take that as like awesome. Like keep thinking that. I'm yeah. Like keep building. Keep plugging in miners. Keep building this show out. Um, investing in companies in the space. And like, yeah, no testament to you, the Flutter Mint. 
uh, UI, like the and the UX is flawless. Scan mm. a QR code, scan another one, scan the send. It just like works. It just works. Onboard it in seconds. Sending sats in less than a minute. It's that. It's that trust. That trust advantage. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. The shout out to Skyler who who designed that. Uh, like he 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 built a Figma, and then I built the um, the Flutter front end of the app based on that Figma, and then that plugged into um, this Rust the engine inside of the app that does all the communicating with actual fediment, which is built by mostly Eric Sirion and a bunch of other contributors. So obviously there's a, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole stack, stack there, but yeah. I got to be a part of that, that first main net, um, Fetty, fediment transaction. So that's pretty sweet. That really felt really special. Sweet. And I, it's going to be historic. I, I like literally, I don't even know why. I remember where I was. I was like helping my brother who just moved into his house, like move boxes around in a in this basement. Like, and I was like clear, trying to clear off the pool table so I could use the pool table <laughs> in the basement. And I'm hearing you and Matt describe federated Chamian mints. And they have this kind of crazy uh, privacy impl implication, but they were invented you know, before even Bitcoin and, but now we can build them on top of Bitcoin. I was like, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and then the, you know, fast forward, you know, a year ish later and I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. I, I always like something I really, if you threw a dart at a LinkedIn profile of, of like a, of a random front end dev, you easy chance finding somebody better than me, oh, but, stop that. but I'm in the right place where the right people are building really cool stuff. And then I get to collaborate with them. And so I get the chance to like build things that I'm really proud of. And I'm really excited about, um, that I wouldn't have been able to build by myself. Um, and that, you know, I didn't have to be the best front end developer on LinkedIn. I just had to be the front end developer that happened to be around to work on this exciting project that, you know, one of my friends was taking on. And look at you blazing trails. That's right. <laughs> Something I wanted to talk to with you specifically because I know um, you're a devout Christian. Do you think Bitcoin is a divine intervention? I'm. I am. Well, I think anything good on Earth is a gift of God. That's true. Uh, you know, we deserve uh, destruction, and we basically live in a state of deferred wrath against evil. Like there is so much evil in the world that has been committed, that is being committed and will be committed. And God is, is holding back wrath on the whole world for the sake of his son. Uh, because you know, Jesus's work and death on our behalf to save some of us from that coming destruction. But this destruction is, is promised. Um, so anything nice <laughs> that we get to enjoy um i you know i think of it kind of as like a, a slice of heaven it's um it's it's just a, a little example of what what the a, a right non-corrupted version of earth would be like is well you of course you'd have if i did some work for you um and i deferred the you know the the like you, I, 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 no, Marty, you don't need to do work for me right this second. I'll defer my reward. You know, that w in heaven, I think that would be tracked somehow. 
Um, and then later on, and 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 and, and we we'd create value. I, I imagine we could create value in heaven by doing work for one another. Um, and so I don't know exactly what ledger we'll be using. You know, in heaven you could trust everybody, so maybe we'll just use like Excel spreadsheet, like a handshake, a dap up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, however we want to pull it off but so I, I i think of it kind of like a slice of heaven in, in that sense um and it but yeah i don't know if it it's not necessarily like it's like i don't know if this like if this empire deserves to be saved and god decided like hey let's let this empire have a free pass by you know working through satoshi to make a better money that saves the usa despite all its failings like I don't know if, it, if 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 that's what you mean by divine intervention. I don't know, but as far as well, I'm uh, not, it doesn't have to be U.S. centric. I mean, just like yeah, yeah. humanity. I mean, I think you and I would agree that the U.S. government and the intelligence apparatus and the military-industrial complex is probably evil and doesn't really make people better off at the end of the day. And Bitcoin has provided us a way to opt out and build, yeah. but not only us. There's people living under other shitty governments around the world that have the same opportunity. Yeah. Peaceful revolution. And you know, that's something like, you know, Jesus talks about like, um, like he, in the, the, he went to a synagogue and he, he read off some verse of, you know, I, I'm, I don't know exactly from Isaiah about, you know, uh, we're supposed to liberate the oppressed. We're supposed to feed the poor. Um, you know, we're supposed to, you know, basically we're, spo we're supposed to do good and, and, and seek, you know, we're supposed to, to, to love justice, um, seek justice, you know, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. There, th this is a, a role on earth is this calling from God to do justice, help the poor, help the oppressed. And Bitcoin is a, it is a, is a, is a method of monetary justice. Um, and it helps, uh, you know, it helps me, but also helps people in very dire situations who need to flee across a border or who have, you know, have some crazy sanctions on them or, um, or have been unbanked because, you know, where they parked their truck or whatever, you know? Um, so I, th I, I think it's, I think it's highly moral activity and it's in line with God's vision for what his people should be working on on earth. I would agree. Yeah, Bitcoin just seems like a manifestation, a modern day manifestation, of like Jesus going into the temple and chasing out the money changers. Yeah. But then like also like implementing the correct money, the moral money. Yeah, I mean, one thing along those lines, I'd actually maybe, um, a, a phrase that's really stood out to me from the Bible recently is this idea of turn from your rage. There's like this whole chapter of psalm 37 it's basically you see the wicked and they get all this stuff and the seems like the righteous don't get anything right now but but in in fact in in, in there is i think a temptation to be jealous or envious of of people who do wrong and get huge rewards for it. And like, we see this obviously in the like, shitcoin ecosystem all the time. I'm not envious, but I do get angry. I do get the rage. Right. right. And so I think anger, it says to like turn away from your, from your rage. And I think anger typically makes us kind of impotent. And then the envy make just makes us wicked ultimately in the long run. 
Um, and so if, if we see like either of those things kind of like cropping up, it, it, it's like to me, I just have started to see that as like, that's my sign when I get off Twitter is if I get, and I might even, you know, drop an unfollow in there too. Um, even some of the clown world stuff um, is, is obviously endlessly interesting and fascinating and frustrating. Um, but if I see it seeping into the point where I'm getting kind of an, like a rage about it, but that doesn't, it doesn't, it, that has like an impotence to it. I feel like it's, it's, it's almost like it's designed to sideline me, especially some of the real culture, culture war stuff that like the, the, that I get dragged into that the 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 boomer cons versus the like whatever liberal flavor of the week is is pissing off the boomer cons like that really high um, highly accessible outrage with very little practical application um, I'm I I've just found that it that it, it really sidelines my ability to do good work. So I, I like, I try to kind of run, run away. From, but I, I highly recommend Psalm 37 because it's written by David who was, he, he was oppressed by an unjust king and who was trying to kill him. Um, and, and he also, his son rebelled against him when later on David was the rightful king. So he had all sorts of injustice happen to him. And yet his advice is, turn from your rage. And I, and the big takeaway is, is that the wicked prosper right now, but they're, and this is from another piece of Psalms, um, like Psalm 125 there, that there's no real like eternity to injustice. Like injustice is a temporary awful thing that we should fight against all the time, but, but there's no eternity to it. There's get theirs eventually. They always get theirs. And that's, it's certain that's, that's a solved problem, whether or not the wicked are going to be punished for what they've done is solved by God. That is, don't worry about it. Um, so I need to decide what I do right now. And that might involve resisting the wicked right now. Um, but I, I don't have to be frustrated by the wicked right now. Yeah. I need to. I need to take the psalm to heart. I get I get very frustrated. Yeah, Marty Jones is a character for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to though. I mean, I guess it, it, this is a weak part of my my own personality. Is I, I succumb to it pretty easily. But I do try to channel it to like highlight, look at the wickedness. Yeah, turn this way. It's hard. Yeah, you see the wicked. I mean, that that's uh, I mean, so much wickedness out there. Every, almost every psalm really has this. David was clearly dealing with a lot of wicked in his time. <laughs> it has this pattern. It's like I see the wicked, and they get so rich, everything goes great, and they trample on the poor, you know, and everything seems to go right. And he's like, but the psalm always kind of recognized. Well, but God is good. God is in control. And then uh, you know, a lot of times, you know explaining in detail how god will just <laughs> fuck their shit up <laughs> yeah uh no it's yeah it's it's hard to see it all go i mean again like i'm child of 9-11 child of the iraq war child of the great financial crisis child of yeah. the uh the great qe boom and the ongoing war in the middle east and now ukraine and it's just like at all these people i i remember 2008 
I'm a, I think I'm just a little older than you and just, you know, that idea of how hard it was to get a job, like that's kind of what the recession meant to me. Yeah. Is is jar, jobs are really scarce. My brother got laid off and 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 so seeing the potential of that, I mean, and obviously that's so small compared to, you know, the financial problems that some people face. Uh, what we went through in 2008, but it, it, it's a very tangible fear to me of what another, even just another 2008 looks like. So I don't really even know what, you know, potentially. The sovereign debt crisis. I mean, oh, we don't want to end it on a doom note, but like the sovereign debt crisis, if it is blowing up, like that's the fucked up part about it. I mean, it does fuck us over, but it really fucks over like our parents and grandparents. Mm. We're like, I know many people in my life who are at the doorstep of retirement have been saving their whole careers. And if interest, like and Matt and I discussed this the other week, like what you're told is you're approaching retirement, you restructure your portfolio, go oh, to the lower risk, go into the lower risk, which is bonds. Bonds are getting completely wrecked. So I know many people who want to retire who have been told this is the way you do it. They yeah. did it that way. Now they're about to go out into retirement with a 40% haircut and what they thought they had. It's pretty fucked. And I don't think there's any way to solve. I mean, yes, you can begin inflating it away, but then you're in retirement and your money buys you less. So you're well, do damned if you do, damned if you do. I mean, this is why I like Texas Slim so much. I'm so glad you brought him to so many people, including myself's attention, is the... Is the um, I was at like a beef initiative thing here at the commons and someone said something about mm. regulation and it's like, here's a thing that the government's doing that makes it hard for us to have good food, you know, and it's bad. And Texas kind of has this sidestep of that. And it's like, yeah, that's, it's like, yeah, that's what they're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I think that's really beautiful. So it's like, so I see, you know, this if if there's some sort of impending financial doom you know i want to think about what i can be doing specifically to you know i can't protect um retiring seniors and their pension funds like that's that's beyond me but you know i have parents and what can i do to get them potentially closer to me um what can i do myself like food security things like that um job security you know, what, what, what does it take to be, yeah, in, in a good part, like a resilient part of the industry? Yeah. Anyways, it just makes me want to like focus on what, what is within my grasp. What can I work on? Yeah. What can you control? Stack sets. Buy a freezer chest, buy beef to put in that. I mean, and this is the lie of money too. And, and, and the, obviously the lie that was told to these, you know, these potential retirees is that you can secure your future. And like that is actually not within your grasp. You can do what is prudent to give yourself a better shot at a better future, but you can't really secure your future. You can't ever with any certainty. Well, especially if you're beholden to lock it down the whims of governments issuing right. treasury bonds and printing money but pushing the stock markets like that does not go on forever we're finding that out right now right so you so yeah the, you have a system piling on risk to just the inherent risk that any human would face well and that's the scary part about it too is there were many people who were able to do that and they think they 
were able to secure their future, but they were just a product of living at a certain point in time mm. where they got out at the right time. Mm. I, f- I feel, I feel like I'm like a lucky in that sense product of my specific time just to be rightly positioned to hear about bitcoin when i did to have the flexibility in my life to kind of change careers and become a developer um to be able to get a bitcoin job to live in a city where i have a bunch of great friends who are like bitcoiners and christians so i i i do feel (laughs) i'm like a product of this time and it's going almost almost too good for me i'm really grateful i am as well no, I mean, same. I think, uh, but there's a lot of evil out there to fight. There is. And we're going to win, though. God always wins at the end. There's no eternity to injustice. No. Maybe we'll end it on that. Should we end it on that? I'd be happy to. Peace and love, freaks. Take care.